0: Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. On The Rematch, you'll hear in depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The Rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy the media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas, and the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar, and that's why there's a need for the rematch. Today, I sat down with NBA insider Brandon Scoop B. Robinson. We discussed my debate with David Aldridge and Mark Spears, why Mark Spears regretted participating in the debate. We discussed the ongoing rift between the old media and the players-led new media, and the personal attacks many in the old media have made commonplace. We also talked about Kyrie Irving criticism, his feud with Stephen A. Smith, how good the Brooklyn Nets could be, and much more. This was a great discussion. Hope you enjoy. Mr. Scoop B. Robinson, how you doing, sir?
1: I'm maintaining, brother. Thank you for um, inviting me to come up. I'm honored and privileged. We've been going back and forth talking about hoops for a while.
0: For a while, right? Definitely.
1: You're, you know, NBA insider, as of late, like Brooklyn Nets insider. You know what I mean? Um, Everyone should really check out his website, uh, ScoopB.com.
0: You know, there's a lot that I want to talk to you about. Um, like I alluded to, I want to talk to you about the Nets and Kyrie and the Katie situation and the way that,
1: you know, narratives are shaped around them. Um, but I'm going to start off with, you know, I had, I had a, my, my my previous episode, I had a, uh, good debate. I thought it was a great, healthy debate, um, with, uh, David Aldridge and, uh, Mark Spears from ESPN. Um, it got a lot of strong reactions both ways and whenever you have a debate, there are going to be people who, you know, fall on both sides of the equation, so that's expected. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to get, I want want to really keep pushing this conversation with the media and the responsibility of the media and the power of the media. You know, um, I I started the the debate, you know, quoting Malcolm X, who said that the media is the most powerful entity on Earth because they have the ability to control the minds of the masses and sway opinions, you know what I mean? And um, i very firmly agree with that 100%. But I wanted to get your take. What was your impression of the discussion
0: slash debate overall?
1: Um, I think that Mark and David are both um, pillars on different but similar entry points. Okay. Um, when I look at David, for me, um, colleagues that I know, um, and I've expressed this to him, his contacts are the envy of many um of just because he's just who he is right um and I think that um he's adjusted at every turn um and I think he is well respected on both uh, sides of the aisle player um as well as journalist. I think from mark um his trajectory um, as a writer and who transitioned into personality and having an online following um which is great I think he came up um uh, I feel like on the cusp of the Stephen A's, the Chris Broussards, all those guys, as well as Mark Spears, were all in the same cohorts. And I feel like their experience, uh, who they both work for, shapes how they respond. And I feel like the 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 thing about your the interview with him that I think got interesting is uh he and Stephen A are both strong, powerful black voices at ESPN. Mm-hmm. I think how aggregation went, uh, and how it appeared in print versus what he actually said. I think he was a bit hesitant um, in how it was received when it was retweeted or shared in blogs multiple times. Um, but I also know from watching that he brought Stephen A.'s name up, right? right? Well, <laughs> once that was brought up, it it's 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 ping ponging back and forth. It's almost like. Who got caught when the light was turned back on? And I think his brand—he's being protective, but at the same time, that's as as a person who's a little younger, who's been around as much as long as they've been. Like I grew up watching them being in a mm-hmm. lot. Though of- so, um, the new media and the old media, there's this 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 tug of war back and forth. Um, and I think that it's particularly his age bracket and my age bracket. I think we're in a in an interesting state where it's one. You see, As much as you see NBA players, young and old, kind of go at it back and forth, Mm -hmm. Twitter, behind the scenes, you see the same thing with journalists on the come up versus the ones who are more established. And I think that the common ground is finding a common ground. Um, Because one day you're going to be old and you got to extend your hand to the next generation. But I think at the same time, I don't think – you should, and, and, and as it relates to Stephen A. and just Kyrie Irving at large, I don't think you have to say somebody's name to make a ton of money or get ratings. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the Draymonds and the JJ Reddicks are kind of um, implementing their imprint on this whole new media conversation.
0: Well, you know, it's it's interesting, and let me let me back up a little bit because it's you know you, you made a point. You said Mark Spears was the one who brought Stephen A. Smith's name up. I was speaking more generally. He specifically said Stephen A. Smith. Um, you know, even making a comparison with politics. You know, they're is the one who made that comparison with Fox News and, you know, I didn't, but I just carried on from their, uh, you know, example that they brought up. But I did think it was
1: interesting, you know, when we're having the discussion, um, you mentioned that, you know, hearing it in during the debate, versus seeing it in print was one of the reasons why Mark Spears, just let everybody know. So afterwards, you know, Mark Spears tweeted that he regretted doing the interview and he was stuck on a um, comparison that I made, um, which was first, brought And like I said, by David Aldridge to make the comparison of the right and the, you know, and and then him bringing up Smith. But this is what I said. And you tell me, um, Scooby, if, if you disagree with this statement or how you, interpreted the statement. So I said that Stephen A. Smith has the same power over the minds of the masses in the sports world that Tucker Carlson has over the right. And I said, that's why they both should be held accountable when talking reckless. That's what I said. So so Mark Spears was saying, well, no, you can't compare Stephen A. Smith to Tucker Carlson. He doesn't spew hate and racism. And I said, well, that's not what I'm comparing. I'm not Comparing the content, what what I said was the amount of power that they both had. And the interesting part is that Stephen A. Smith actually messaged me. You know, he tweeted, he tweeted it out. And then, you know, in the comment section, he messaged me on Instagram. We didn't have an issue with it. He knew what I was saying. And then we had a regular discussion. But I just thought it was interesting that Mark Spears, you know, jumped to, even though we discussed it on the program, that that's not what I was saying. He still kind of took the position that I was comparing Tucker Carlson to Stephen A. Smith in content, All right? I think Twitter is a is peer pressure like a mf. Okay, <laughs> that because as I mentioned, Ian and Stephen A. are peers and cohorts. I think, I think Mark was being a bit protective, just knowing Mark and, and I, I. I would imagine that it was a combination of Twitter can get out of hand, um, aggregation can get out of hand, um, and I think sometimes Twitter is not the, the best form for it to be disseminated because you got budget of 40 characters, but specifically to answer your question about Tucker Carlson and Stephen A. Smith. Um, I think because they're both polarizing, but polarizing differently. Um, I think that Stephen A would understand it because he's in that polar, he's in that chair and he, and he's understanding for context purposes. I think Mark was more on the fence about it of how it would be perceived. Um, But as it relates to your statement, I would go further and maybe say this. Just because they're both polarizing doesn't mean they both don't lead an opinion-based thought um, through their audience. So, like, if not Tucker Carlson, then maybe you can make the comparison that Stephen A. Smith for African-Americans um, in the barbershop or having daily conver- it's is for those, that group of people, what Colin Cowherd is to his um, demographic. But I, but I wasn't even just saying just for African-Americans. I was saying in, in the entire sports world of how you drive a narrative. Stephen A. Stephen a. Smith says something. He's on every channel on ESPN every every hour. Right. So he right. repeats something over and over and over again, and then it becomes reality throughout the sports world. That was yeah, it. oh yeah, like, right. Taking, and, and, away Rachel, you're taking away from racial, you take it away from politics. Just yes. following, and and he has the ability. Yes, yes, opinion. Yes, I can. That's see what it. I was saying. I, I can see it. But you know, when we finish this, the aggregators are going to say, Scoop B said Tucker Carlson is. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, I couldn't have picked anybody. It wasn't, it wasn't the point of the person, it was the amount know, the power. And that's the part where, you know, I, throughout the, the debate, I was saying that, you know, David Alter is kind of discounting the, the effectiveness of the power of the media, whether it's the power of the pen or the power of the microphone. And I was like, it's all in the media bucket. I, now, I know you kind of want you know, distance. Well, they are different kind of media. That, uh, as long as you're influencing the minds of the masses in that form, your media. So it doesn't matter if <laughs> they write it. <laughs> a blue crayon and a green crayon are still Crayolas. They just give a different hue, Right. And right. service something in a coloring book differently, but it's yeah. still servicing a coloring book. Yes, definitely. So from that standpoint, I do think the media needs to be held accountable. And, you know, hey, after with, with a great hour comes great responsibility. Shout out to Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's the truth. So you can't just talk recklessly no matter what form you're in the media. Would, would you agree with that or would you disagree with that statement? That you can't talk recklessly in media? Right. Yeah, and I have my own personal conduct. Like, I'll tell you, like, I've hosted shows with colleagues mm-hmm. um, where they've said certain things and then I've said, I'm not going to really comment on it. I'm going to leave it alone because in addition to me being in the studio, I'm still in the street as a field reporter. For me, my own personal contact, my own personal compass is more along the lines of, is it true? Is it fair? And is it going to get me punched in the mouth when I see them in public? That's an important one. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have colleagues who you know have that are on radio or, or media who who do have to walk around uh, with added security because they've said some controversial things. I, I'm a man of the people, so for me personally, I, I kind of don't like that added. It's not that serious. I love what I do, but I also am aware of the notion that the crazier you say things. The more pe- you get eyes and views on on paper or on 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 platform, but this is but that's the problem. Then we're getting to the crux of the issue with the old media and new media. This is what I kept trying to explain to David Aldridge and Mark Spears that you know when the the old media makes things so personal, like how else are you supposed to take it but personally? I mean, there are players that you know different members of the media who are on you know, camera all day, every single day, positions they're taking where they're personally attacking the person. You know what I mean? And then so then, in essence, they begin to sway the entire opinion about that person because, you know, sports talk radio, all that stuff kind of drives a lot of the, the opinions of the sports world. And here's the other thing, that message messes up people's money. Of course, of course. So, so, so one of the things David Aldridge was saying was that, what difference does it make? He was saying, does it make any difference to GMs, to presidents, to, I was like, it definitely does. Like, I've interviewed, I interviewed Pete Babcock and I did an um, article about him where he specifically talked about how the narrative surrounding Conley Brown hurt him, you know what I mean, throughout the entire league because they heard that played over and over again. And, and that you're hearing it straight from a former, you know, NBA executive's mouth. So it definitely does have an effect. Because so people are too lazy to do their homework. Of course. Yeah. Of course. That's anything. You hear something on the media and you take it as, as it being 100% accurate. I give, I give you a perfect example. So um, for the July weekend, um, all the reports about Kyrie and the Lakers and what have you were coming out. Mm-hmm. I was on vacation in Mexico with my two best friends. And one of my best friends reads certain writers religiously. And he just thought that it was a foregone conclusion mm-hmm. that this person, Kyrie, was going to the Lakers. And I said, well, you know, I've been in contact with who I've been in contact with. And uh, it's not going down that way. right?" Well, so-and-so said, I'm purposely not saying them because I'm not trying to Got ask you. you but, but so-and-so said, I said, that's cool. I said, but you know me and you know who I talk to. You've seen me in action. So um, I'm your friend. I may not be on that level like you may think, but I know things too. And they were just stuck on what the aggregator said. And because this person was at this publication that they know all. And And I don't have any problem with that person, but I know in this instance mm-hmm. what it is. Right. And then I might have talked to them like a week or two later. Right. Duh. I feel like people believe what... You, when you're in that space, you're believable. Of course. Um, of course. So I, I think that just, um, media is a very, it, it's a very tricky business at this point because if you say one thing wrong, even if it's like a spidget off, people won't call you on it because free speech, but also social media has made people very familiar about jumping in your comments and saying things, but at the same time, um, you you also have to give yourself enough room for things to change. Uh, you know, I I I think media should be held accountable. I think that you should when if you're going to you know um, attack a person to the level where it it discredits their value as an NBA player or an NFL player and questions their character. You know what I mean? And then what you're saying turns out to not even be factual. Yeah. I think you should be. I, I mean, it, it's. Or not even the whole story, you know. And, and I brought the 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 uh, instance within with Kwame Brown because I was teammates with him. There's so much stuff being written about, and you know, Stephen A. Smith every single week, every single day, drumming. And I'm like, wait, none of that is true. That's not true. I'm sitting here. I I'm seeing what's happening. That's not what, what y'all are reporting is not what's happening. But 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 that's just that's just one um, uh, example. But there are so many examples I could come up with. So that's why it's like, okay. When the media does that and you have a player respond negatively, you know what I mean, and upset, and you're like, oh, we're just doing our job. Well, you have a responsibility to do your job correctly and completely and responsibly when you do your job because of the amount of power that you have. I think that there is a a line that needs to be drawn between sensationalism, which kind of... You know, I I'm I'm young but old enough to remember Wendy Williams when she was on the radio in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and how her career took off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also young enough to know or remember um certain colleagues writing articles about certain players and letting players know the day before, and then the player never speaking to said journalists again. Um, and I also do think as it relates to Stephen A, at this point, um you're young and both young and old enough to remember Stephen A as a columnist. Mm -hmm. Also your, your kids, kids will only know Stephen A as a TV personality. Right. And I think that when we look at what people do, um, their strengths, their strong points, their weaknesses. Um, I think that Stephen A Smith at this point is TV strictly, and he's not an insider, but he's still connected being in the field every day like a person who's around the team every day gives them the the, the vantage point of knowing the day to day. When you're in the studio, you get a little comfortable. You're not in the field every day. I think that with Kwame Brown, the part that is very um, frustrating um, is the fact that I really feel like in today's NBA, Kwame Brown would be a freaking monster. I think he would average 40 to 50 points, uh, maybe 30 to 50 points a game easily. Um, but I, the part that is frustrating for me personally is when you see two black men bashing one another for people to make money off of clicks. Um, And I, I have a problem with it, just like I have a problem with black men wearing dresses on TV. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I, I also feel like, um, how do you regulate it? I feel like the old guard and the new guard, I feel like COVID made internet and TV an equalizer. Um, for news but you're also seeing um, the pay disparity for people who work in digital very different than the people who do stuff in tv and a lot of these young people are waiting for older people who hate to get out of the way because they can make their run but unfortunately i feel like a lot of the older people there's a disconnect between many older people and many young nba players who because they've been burned by by media they don't even want to talk to them and it makes it bad for people who actually do care of course of course it does you know what I mean? I mean, the way that, I mean, I I could go through and, you know, I remember the reporter named Tom Knight that worked for the Washington Times. It seemed like he didn't like NBA players. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, in his writing, it was so negative. So, you know, that, that it just seemed like, wow, do you, is you jealous? Do you just not like NBA players? Then why aren't you even doing this job? But, but it was that level of disconnect where there wasn't a, a need or desire for any more of a connection. You know what I mean? So guys remember that. Of course they remember that. So so, then if Tom not would come up to a player, shake can say like, wait a minute, I've read your article of what you said. What, what do you think I'm going to, you know what I mean? Be happy to talk to you now. And, and, and that, but that's what Draymond Green and the new media are 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 saying that, yeah, athletes are tired of that saying because everybody has a story like that. Of a, you know, a beat, we're talking about beat writers, people who used to every single day. You know what I mean? That are literally trying to tear you down every single day. So, cool. but now athletes have their own social media, so they could be their their own. You know, I, I used to do these things called open letters. So, if a, if a you know a media person gets something wrong or you know misreports something like that, I do an open letter back to them and put it in their publication. That's what I was doing when I was playing. But now, who just got to go to their Instagram, their Twitter. Say, no, what he said was not right. This is what really happened. Mm-hmm. Or this is what I'm thinking. Like I think, I'll know what I'm thinking. I'm telling you what I'm thinking, so it seems like there's this friction. But how can that be changed? Because it's not getting better as we're moving along. It seems like it's the relationship is getting worse to me. Um. Yeah, you're right. I, I had a conversation with a mentor of mine, um, who flies with the team, and they would say to me, you know, at this point. We're on one side of the plane; the players on the other side, and and actually, teams kind of like it like that. They like the separation between church and state. And I'll be honest with you, I think COVID kind of made it worse,
0: mm.
1: um, because there's no locker room access. I don't see that changing personally ever again. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of players would like it that way that guys aren't media people aren't in their personal space. Um, but I think that's where relationships and being creative uh, really do come into play um, where there are a select group of people who are privy to information and can disseminate it um, professionally. Um, I, I think, I think, um, I think it's on the onus of the journalist to work harder, but for the athlete to meet them halfway.
0: Okay. okay. I, think, right. I
1: think, I think there's a sincerity, like you look at Washington politics, you still need that. You still need that. That one um politician who is respected on both sides of the aisle, I think I think the, the the respect comes until something is done to lose
0: the respect or lose the trust or lose the you know what I mean, then you're looking at in the side eye as you're looking at everybody else. So I think it it, you know, a lot has to be done in order to build that trust. but let me but let me ask you this because this is something i asked I posed to them. um, it seemed like it kind of. I don't know if it went over Mark's face head or if he just didn't
1: understand a correlation I was making. But I said that I made a correlation to the good cops and the
0: bad cops and how, you know, the the thought of everybody saying was, OK, well, these are good cops. You don't do that. Then why don't you hold accountable the bad cops who
1: are putting a negative light on you as a whole because of their actions? And, you know, I, I I'm correlating that to the media because, of course, not all media operate in the same way. However, you know the, the the public or players don't really ever see, like you mentioned earlier, that you know there's a back and forth going some going between different media people in the background, but players don't ever see that. So it seems like they're all kind of on the court with the things that Steve Ray Smith says or things that Skip Bayless says, or you know what I mean, because nobody is is objecting or saying or giving an opposite. A viewpoint or saying, okay, we don't have to tear this person down like that or anything like that? Well, I think that sports in general, mm-hmm. I, re- I remember when 9-11 happened and I remember mm-hmm. it, it seemed, looking back when I was in high school, that talking heads became a thing. Like this person had this view of, of, of Osama Bin Laden I remember another person had another view and then I learned the differences between the Fox Newses, the MSNBCs, the CNN, whatever you subscribe to. But I feel like sports media, number one, took that same model and ran with it. Number two, sports media, when the newspaper died, um, the convergence of TV uh, and the internet made it uh, free candy. Um, and I feel like Stephen A. and uh, Skip Bayless created a model um, and it worked. And then in the same breath, Jason Whitlock used contrarianism contrarianism, uh, to build his brand. Um, I I think in those three gentlemen creating it, um, the next generation is kind of taking it to the next level, and I'm a little nervous about where that's going to go. Uh, When you talk about the good cop, bad cop, Um, I feel like there are certain journalists. There's definitely a star system, but I definitely think there are certain journalists um, amongst NBA players um, that get that respect, both in your era uh, and today's era. Mm -hmm. I think David Aldridge and Mark Spears definitely uh, passed that smell test. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Haynes passes that smell test. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm on the rise. I I passed that smell test. Um, But then there are certain journalists who don't aspire to be on TV. There are certain journalists that just want to write. Um, And they may not get that same respect because the players don't look at them as stars. So I feel like what the, I think the media access that's provided for media coupled with media that is, that are beat writers and media who are on TV day to day, they all get lumped and grouped by players in the same box. And so then how you talk about all cops are bad, people believe that all journalists are bad. They could, I won't say they do, they could because of a bad experience. And I think that, um, the way you solve it, I, I I don't know that I have the answer, but I I think I think the golden rule applies in this situation. You know, you you treat people the way you want to be treated. I I try to keep it on the court. I try to if I'm at a function and a, and I see a player and they have a drink in their hand or I have a drink in in my hand, um, I I learned that from some of the OGs like J A Adonde and Chris Broussard. You know, you it, assumed that it's off the record, like. You wouldn't use that in an article for background. You know, I, I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of it in the past, in uh, and, and the battle to be first, you could be wrong. Uh, right. And the right. goal should be to be right and efficient. Part of the easiest example or recent example, you know, that, that I can tie is the whole thing with the Drew League, where, you know, the article about Kai and and, and, and Ron was there, but then it gets difficult because Dave McMinnon was going by what the, the, the leader or the, the head of the Drew League told him. So does that make Dave McMenamin a liar? No. Um, you know, Mark Spears got from, you know, the guy from the Drew League that, um, you know, Kyrie was playing for No Limit Soldiers. No Limit right. Soldiers wasn't even a team that existed. Right. So They're going by what they're told. But it, 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 it just gets murky. I don't know how you vet uh, truths, lies, lies and, and more, but um, the, the industry is changing rapidly. Well, I think one thing that you have to be just as loud with your criticism as you are when you have to do a retract of something where you got bad information about it. And I think everybody makes mistakes. Sometimes you get bad information, you get bad information, but you can't be so you know um, stubborn and bold in your you know misinformation that you're not willing to say, "Okay, I was wrong here." And I think, that, and, that, and that's one thing that a lot of journalists, media. They have a difficulty saying. I think that because they they want they don't want it to affect their credibility. But then they lose more credibility with the players when they don't do that. And I, I think that becomes the tug of war sometimes of like who who am I trying to um keep my credibility with? Um the fans or the players? And sometimes they choose how they how they choose. And but I do want to, you know, continue to 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 drill the point that. You know, regardless of if it's journalists or you know, on um, um, TV commentators or sports talks radio, it's all media. You know, little thing that thought was into they kept trying to Martin years distance himself so much from Stephen A. Smith throughout that entire discussion that we had, but then he took up for Stephen A. Smith and, and said, "Okay, you know, what I mean, you would, you could never talk about." It. I was like, "But that's not even what I was saying." And Stephen A. Smith didn't even think I was saying. So a lot of people in the comments were like, "Well." Mark, you kind of made his point for him because you 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 wouldn't hold him accountable and say that his words are actually powerful, but now you're taking up for him almost like a blue wall of you know shield that that you know they all take up for each other, and that's what you're doing when he's not even offended. So it kind of like displayed, you know, what I didn't want it to display. I wanted it to actually be that no, we're able to, we're gonna at least speak about it and possibly be able to stand for truth and if we see something, but that's not that wasn't the response. It was like, you know. Going more, I I I'm sure that he was protective of of how it was how it could turn, but at the same time, I think he didn't want to appear to be kicking his teammate at ESPN in the back based upon how it would be written and said. That's the that's the gauge that I get. I hear you, but that's not what was actually said though. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. I'm interested. I listen. I don't have a in this I, I no, no, no. I hear you though. I hear you. Um, I, I just I know how much power Stephen A. Smith um, has at at ESPN, and of I'm course, probably be careful, but at the same time, I'm glad I was on here to, to with you to to have to further this conversation because right. I'm working at uh, ESPN, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I see those brothers around, and it just is interesting. That that's that's all I can really make of it. Right. Um, I just think he distanced himself from it, but at the same time, I I really do think um, you should get Stephen A to sit with you and talk and see if he can see that comparison and not just message you, but actually, you know, break that down. Cause I'd love to know. I would love to, because I, I think these discussions are great to have. You know what I mean? Even if we're disagreeing, but just presenting the different ideas and perspectives and everything like that, I think that is great to have. It doesn't have to be where. I had so many people come up to me because I was at my son's tournament in Kansas City. After that, and they was like, "Oh, are y'all beefing?" I was like, "No, we're not beefing. We just have different opinions. We just and it doesn't have to turn into a beef, you know." <laughs> but you know what? I, I had this conversation with my two best friends while we were in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times, especially on Twitter, um, people don't know how to agree to dis- disagree and still be civil. I agree. I definitely agree with that. And if it's and it, and. Agreeing to disagree means you have a beef to peep to, to people, I don't I don't agree.
0: Yeah, not at all. Listen, at all.
1: I believe you and I both believe two and two is four. If you wake up right. and say two and two is is is, is five, cool. Right. We got a beef about it. We're <laughs> still friends. I, right. I just don't agree with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I it's I I, I like having these discussions, so I, I want to keep on pushing. I able to have those and I think they're important discussions to have. Um so I want to ask you this. I want to ask you about the Brooklyn Nets. Um,
1: you know, it's interesting because and this goes along with kind of what we're saying, the narrative that has been created around the Brooklyn Nets, even even about, you know, Kyrie, even with with KD. And I, I wanna what what do you take of it? Because that Kyrie is an interesting situation. And I made this comment. And I want I want you to in respond to this comment in, in particular. Okay. So I said that this is going towards the power of the media to be able to shape narratives. So with Kyrie, I said if the narrative created by the media was that Kyrie was a champion for mental health and why it's so important to take care of your mental health to continue the longevity of your career in whatever field it is, um, then the entire perception would have been different around the games that he took off because he said he needed a break. Now, in contrast, what was done after that by Steve Ray Smith who's one of them was more like, "Oh, he doesn't want to play. Oh, he's just using this. Oh, he's missing games again. Oh, he's not reliable. Oh, he doesn't. We don't know if he's going to show up or anything like." That. And I'm like, "Huh? Well, how do you pick and choose who says that you know for mental health they need a break because of this, that, that it's an acceptable reason?" You know what I mean? So I'm just wondering what your take is on on that element, specifically with Kyrie. Specifically to Mm -hmm. I understand understand Stephen A's logic, but I understand Kyrie's too. I am a tweener. Where I understand where my elders came from, but I also understand where young people like myself and younger come from. And I think that Stephen A operates in a very old school uh, way of picking up your lunch pill, going to work every day. Um, and, and damn, being in pain, just take vitamins and be done. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think Kyrie operates in uh, a mind state of my job is to bounce a basketball and a hope and I'm done. Um, and I go about my life with my friends, my family, and you know, who, who has my best interest at heart. Um, I do know specifically, uh, to Kyrie's, um, Point of view, standpoint, and more. Um, this whole mental health day really began um, after the insurrection, of January sixth. Um, I caught hell because I tweeted uh, uh, that his reasoning for not wanting to play is I just didn't want to play, and I think that needed more context. Just like many people don't understand Kyrie because of lack of context, because I think ultimately a lot of people don't know him. I think as it relates to media, many people who shape his story do not know him. I I could personally say I'm one of few who know him more than most, um, and largely because our families go back 30 years. Um, But but I'll say, specifically to the point of Stephen A. Smith um, and Kyrie, their issues go deeper than just not playing. Um, Their issues go back to things that I know Stephen A., knows about him um, personally um, but also uh, I know that that Kyrie's family, specifically his father uh, are very frustrated with how Stephen A um, discusses Kyrie. Um, I know that Rod Strickland, a former wizard like yourself, mm-hmm. uh, surely um, is someone who is a mediator, if you will, but um, because he's Kai's godfather. But ultimately, I think for Kyrie's um, functionality for the rest of his career, I I'd, I'd hope um that he'd take a page kind of out of Tom Brady out of Tom Brady's book. I feel like when you win, people get amnesia. Um, I think that you saw that with the Flake Gate, and that is of no comparison to Kyrie and mental health and skipping games and COVID. But that's the easiest thing I can grasp from that based upon just my experience as a member of the media, but also being a consumer of culture. I feel like once the flake gate happened and once uh, Tom Brady just created more longevity and he won, people forgot. And I, I, I was hopeful for Kyrie's sake um, that if the Nets did win this past season, a similar module would have happened. Unfortunately, the Celtics represented the NBA in the Eastern Conference. Um, but I, I think for Kyrie also, and I've always felt this way, I think he did a good job of on I Am Athlete of, of, of really getting uh, people getting to know him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always something that I've shared with both he and his circle. Um, I think a lot of times people get angry with Kyrie because they don't know him. Um, and I also believe that when you comparatively, when you look at LeBron, you know who LeBron is, you know that he has kids, you know that he loves his daughter, he loves his wife. Um, he is very involved with a school. Uh, education is important to him to a degree, um, and he loves his family. With Kyrie, he's very private and very guarded, and a lot of reasons why he is very private and is very guarded is because of um, him feeling as though he was burned by the media in the past dating back to Cleveland, and even going back to his decision of this deciding to go to Duke when he was at St. Pat's. Um, so there, there's just a lot of 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 history, layered history with him. I don't think I have enough time in the day to really to break that down, but that's what I do know. You know, it's interesting going back to the uh,
0: mental health part. um, You know, it's just interesting when the NBA presents itself as being so open to mental health and the player's mental health and everything like that. And then kind of picking and choosing which players can be
1: the spokespeople for mental health when they come out about their own mental health. And I, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like I'm looking at, You know, different players, okay, this one was accepted, this one wasn't accepted, Kyrie definitely wasn't. And I don't understand the, 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 the difference. You know, Kyrie was actually scrutinized more. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it was just because that he actually missed games because of it and other players didn't. They just talked about their mental health. But I can't put my finger on how mental health becomes so conditionally Accepted mental health is such a buzzword, um, as is cryptocurrency, um, Uh as is some of those other things that we've uh discussed over the last two to three years. Is we're in the house, um, and still figuring out COVID. Um, and I think that, um, Kyrie's issues, um, or the issues that the NBA has and, and, and vice versa is kind of interesting because I feel like um, for mental health, you go back to DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love, right. the poster children for the, the NBA, um, but there's so many layers to mental health. Um, and I think that um, nobody has really sat down and and, and talked about not just the effects of playing a grueling eighty two game season, mm-hmm. um but also the travel um after games um time zones, all those different things, as well as um the amount of criticism that players and hate and ridicule that players get online i like i like I think that there are so many factors um that go into all of this, but I also think that. Kyrie represents Kyrie and because Kyrie represents himself, I don't think people know how to take that. Mm, But I, but I think, but I have to say that I think that the way the the media presented it with DeRozan, with Kevin Love, which was completely the opposite of the way they presented it with Kyrie when he was talking about his mental health kind of drove the narrative that then was, was presented on social media. Do you I know what think, i mean I think, I think many people in the media just don't like Kyrie or and, and or don't know him i think that demar DeRozan and kevin love in their minds are more welcoming okay. and so and so I, I i think that's part of it but i also do feel like for kyrie specifically i feel like he's very intelligent i feel like he's very knowledgeable i feel also that sometimes when he should speak in the past, I'm not talking about now. I feel like when sure. he should speak, he doesn't. And when he doesn't, he should. Well, it's kind of hard to say that sometimes because there's there's things that are, you know, important to him and he's feeling, and then they get kind of twisted once the media is reporting it. And I'm just looking, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not what he said. Not, <laughs> what he said. <laughs> and what you just said, I'll tell you when I when I saw your point of view. Um, the Nets were playing the Wizards in Washington after the trade deadline when, uh, James Harden was moved to Philly. Okay. And the Nets lost that game. I think they were like on a nine or 10 game losing streak. I remember they played like Miami that Friday, but that, Mm -hmm. that night at the trading deadline, and they played Miami Saturday, that trading at the, at the deadline, everybody wanted kind of clear the air about him and James Harden. And Kai said all the right things. And I raised my hand and I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. What makes you happy? Because prior to that, he said, I'm just unhappy with losing. And I said, well, what makes you happy? And he looked at me. He said, that's a loaded question, bro. Mm-hmm. And what I took from that is whatever he said, it was going to, his response would have gotten ran with.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um. And I and I've heard I've heard they I've heard Draymond say this to a colleague of mine um during the finals when when we were walking around and he this particular colleague was doing a one-on-one. And Draymond said, I'm not just giving my quotes to anybody. Right. Because by the time you get out that media scrum, you get out of that press conference, Kyrie's quotes was gonna get souffleed fried sure. every which way. Yeah. It, it it's almost like the same level of Expectation that the president of the United States has yes. when he speaks, I feel like that's how they look look to guys like Kyrie, LeBron, Giannis, and more. Yeah, got that power. Yeah, but but the and he does have that power. But then the media has the power to sway whatever it is that he said and almost create an entirely different new narrative. You know, I remember when they was going into the bubble. It was right after twenty twenty. And George Floyd, it and happened, Brownie and Taylor, everybody was up in arms. And Kyrie was like, okay, maybe this isn't the most important thing right now. There's all this stuff that's going, And how that got, I mean, then you had Stephen A. Smith again. Oh, that's the dumbest thing that I've ever heard about like life. Then you heard, you know, Charles Barkley. Then you heard, you know, even, I mean, there's a lot of people that jumped on that. So then the whole narrative became Kyrie is saying something stupid. Kyrie is saying something ignorant. You know, Kyrie saying that he doesn't want to play again. But like I was saying, And I was just like, wow, it's amazing. That's the part that I'm, I was trying to get David Aldridge and them to admit to is a say the media has this tremendous amount of power to be able to sway public opinion. Like, I just it, you know, that Kyrie discussion was had on the Zoom calls. And I know that some of my esteemed colleagues were on that call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that um, Chris Paul had said repeatedly, guys, Let's stop totally keeping it real on this call because the stuff that we say on here is going to be taken out of context. Right. And then, you know, I had a conversation with a colleague who was on the call. They were like, you, the team owners or team governors are having those same conversations. And that nice. whole keeping it real aspect isn't necessarily, uh, that diatribe is not the same. Right. Um, I I think that Kyrie ultimately in this situation where he felt as though players should not have gone to the bubble and made owners and other people decision makers become more aware of certain things that was the NBA, that was the players power there and i and, and just from my understanding of it kyrie wanted to make many players aware of that and that every player understood it from that point of view right and I, and i i've always felt like um Every player comes from how they were raised. They come from different financial brackets and financial literacy, as well as different civil rights point of views. Some players just want to play. Some players just want to make their money and go home. Mm -hmm. I don't think every player has the responsibility to be the voice of black people if they are black. Some players just want to play basketball. Some esteemed players like yourself, take that on and want to enlighten and educate emancipate and empower other people i, I, I think that lebron and Kyrie have been made the spokesperson for the player honestly because Kyrie was a vp is a vp but the mm-hmm. players right 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 and i i understood 100 what he was saying let's ask for more from these teams let's not just be satisfied with a tweet or saying that black lives matter or what happened to you know George Floyd is wrong let's now, use your power to influence the different, you know, people in your cities. You know, I even wrote about this. And yes, I, I talked about Mark Cuban, talking about tendiosis. Use your power in the city to be able to affect the police department because those are the people who you rub elbows with, all the governors in every single city, the NBA governors. Every, so I understood what he was saying, but it was just, it, it you know, just seeing how the narrative just shifted. You know, after a lot of the media players started, media members started calling him the different names, like stupid and dumb, and it's crazy, and he's being ridiculous and everything like that. It's just, it's just amazing. Well, I ended up doing what Kyrie suggested after Kenosha. A lot of it. And and when the Magic and the Bucks played and they sat out. Yes. They realized that Kyrie was right and that they have the power. But nobody made that connection back to what Kyrie was saying. They just they just skipped over Kyrie and they said, Oh, but then you saw some of the main media people say, Oh, we applaud these NBA players I was like, wait a minute. You was just killing Kyrie because he suggested it and now you're plumping an NBA player. I think it was one of those people who did that. I was like, come on now, you you can't do that. You know I mean, then it then it seems really personal. But let me I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to ask you um, about the Brooklyn Nets and what's happening what you know is it is it most likely that you know Kyrie and KD are both going to be in Brooklyn again and also what is you know what can be expected if they're all back so from the beginning i i put out there since around a little before 4th of July and after 4th of July weekend that mm-hmm. um, there is a chance for reconciliation um and i think that what the nets found was that what they wanted for Kevin Durant um they weren't going to get. Uh, I know that the Nets and uh, the Pelicans had conversation. The Nets were uh, looking for Brandon Ingram and Larry Nance and first round round picks. Um, I know that the Nets wanted Scotty Bards from the, from the Raptors in any deal uh, surrounding Kevin Durant. I know that the Nets wanted Devin Booker uh, in any deal. The Nets wanted both Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook in any deal for Kyrie Irving. Um, and I think that I think that the, they realized what they wanted the market wasn't going to give, um, and I think that the best way to counteract that in the future for them, if there's if the Nets are still looking to move those two gentlemen, is kind of what the Sixers were looking to do last season with Ben Simmons. Um, out of sight, out of mind is always a thing. You, what are you? What have you done for late for me lately? You're only as good as your last your your last act. I think that I think that the Nets if they're still looking to move them they need to show up to training camp and showcase those gentlemen in games played. Um but from my understanding of the, the issue specifically um uh, Kevin Durant was very frustrated with the handling of Kyrie's contract mm-hmm. um as well as some of those pieces within the organization that were lacking. Um Adam Harrington who he was an assistant coach with Of the Nets, uh, a longtime friend of, of, of Kevin shooting coach and more still, um, still paid, but let go as an assistant coach. Uh, I know that, um, Kai, Kevin, you know, privately have said to certain folks, they want more black and Brown people within the organization, not just players, but coaching staff, support staff, front office, and more. Um, I know that Eli Carter, a friend of Kyrie's who was an assistant coach on, you know, that, that Nets team, um, did not, from what I understand, did not get the jab. Um, but once the, the the mandates were rolled back, um, I was told that he was assured some type of uh, active role with the team. Hasn't been the case. Um, there's been a lot of back and forth about Kyrie's contract with, you know, Sean Marks, uh, Joseph Tsai being part of some of those uh, meetings um, and with Ky's representation, his, his stepmother, Shatalia, uh, Riley Irving. But um, they really couldn't agree on anything. But I, I think that, the one thing that I, I take from just all of this mm-hmm. um, is that if Kai does play well early in the season, beginning of the season, towards the end of the season, um, and, and is consistent, um, I, I think that the Phoenix Suns with DeAndre Ayton is a cautionary tale about money and what people are offering you. Um, and, you know, Ayton got his money from, from the Phoenix via the Pacers and that offer sheet that was signed. But mm-hmm. um, let's not act like Kyrie is, is, is chopped liver. Um, I, I think that the, the issue has a lot to do with him being present. The mandates were what they were; he couldn't play, um, and the Nets are very were very uncomfortable with paying him a boatload of money without a. They felt a return on an investment in games played.
0: You know, it's it, interesting with that. You know, you're talking about the whole COVID situation, and you know, a large portion of the society was very uncomfortable with taking the vaccine. I
1: mean, I was uncomfortable taking the vaccine. I took it, but I was very uncomfortable with taking it. Um, you know, it was at a time where more than half of the NYPD didn't want to take the vaccine. But, you know, and everybody was okay with it until Kyrie missed some games. Then They're like, wait a minute now. You can't, you know, miss the game for any reason. And I was just like, well, he's, it's for the reason of the vaccine. So I, so I wanted to ask you, what was your interpretation of Sean Mark's um, address at the end of the season where he kind of was buying into a lot of the narratives that were, you know, given throughout the media of questioning Kyrie's commitment to the team, questioning if he wanted to be there, if he was all the way bought in or anything like that, invested using those kind of language. And, you know, he was talking about Kyrie. um, What, what, what was, what was your take on all of it? I think he took a page out of Phil Jackson's book and addressing players and and, and their mental psyche and, and, and getting their attention. But, Uh, I also think, all joking aside, that with Sean Marks' take on or just Sean Marks' explanation of it, um, I think it was a combination of saving face, but also how he really felt. You think it was wise to do that on Sean Marks' part? Like, how did you think that was going to react? I mean, you're talking about Phil Jackson and winning cares everything. So they won, so obviously, it was wise for Phil Jackson. But, you know, is that kind of the barometer of how you, you know, decide if it was a good move or not? I mean, I'm sure that didn't sit very well with Kyrie. I think that these players today um, have a lot of tunnel vision. Um, and I don't, and I'm not speaking for Kyrie in this instance. This is my opinion. Okay. I think that I don't really think Kyrie cared about what Sean Marks had to say, what Kyrie is, knows himself. Um, And I think that um, Kai sells tickets He sells sneakers Um, When he plays he wins And um, I think that If he was playing for the Utah Jazz Or the Philadelphia 76ers regional wise I don't know that we would be having this conversation Fortunately or unfortunately He plays in New York City And not only were the mandates What they were the Nets didn't even want kind to of show up for away games. Um, right. and, and so you know, weird because because uh, well because I you remember at the time of the Wizards, Bradley Beal hadn't taken the vaccine, but he could go up there and play. But Kyrie couldn't even be. It, it was the, the rules were kind of weird. It 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 felt like um like the Connie rule. That's what it felt like. Like it was. nobody had it in for him. That's my yes, of course. <laughs> Of course, because they didn't make any logical sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, last question for you, though. You know, how good can the Nets be? Everybody coming back, you know, Ben Simmons coming back, um, you know, and and being full strength of what he can definitely provide, especially with further defense. um, Mm -hmm. You know, how good can the Nets be this coming season? I think they can compete with, with the Eastern Conference elite. I think one thing that all this discord provides um, is less pressure on them and more pressure on the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Sixers. I feel like a lot of people have had this offseason season conversation about the Nets, and while some have expectations for them, some don't think much because they think that they're a circus. Um, and, and that kind of pushes them under the radar. Um, but I also feel like as much as Kyrie has something to prove in the contract year, So do this Ben Simmons. Um, I I, I feel like Ben Simmons um, fits this team like a glove. Mm I agree. Um, And I feel like he fits them for both. Um, He doesn't have to give you 20 or 30 or 40 points a night, um, but defensively, he's going to be here. And also, um, how much pressure he takes as the primary ball handler distributing it to their two stars and Kai, Kevin. And I feel like, that's the same. I I, I consider him James Harden Light Um, in the sense of he doesn't take as many shots as James, um, but he's both a dual threat for getting to the basket while also kicking out of the double or the triple team and getting those other guys on that team open. Um, But I also think that the trade that they made with Philly to get shooters like Seth Curry, um, a return of Joe Harris, um, helps in that commanding that double team as long as those guys are healthy. But, wow. The other thing that I like about this team um, is is resigning of Kessler Edwards uh, as well as uh, Nicholas Claxton. I feel like the yeah. playoffs, uh, Kyrie and, 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 and Claxton had a connection off the screen and roles mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit. And I, I really feel like um, the way that we look at Claxton um, as a, as an analyst or as a basketball community, is what the expectations that I think many Nets uh, supporters had for Jared Allen, who now saw the mean? Cleveland. Like right. you know, I, I, I felt that they should have never have traded him personally, and I think in a in a rush to get better, uh, mm-hmm. it took a couple of years and wear and more wear and tear on guys' bodies. Um, but you know th- that's the way the could crumbles. But I do think that the Nets. It's 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 good trouble to have. it. They have potential, they just got to get it together. And I also think the um, mm-hmm. coach uh, there needs to be a level of adapting there. I think everybody points the finger at the players, mm-hmm. um, at the coach, but I feel like a lot of the players weren't totally connecting with Nash last year.
0: I mean, Those good points. I mean, Those
1: definitely good points. I think Sky's in limit for them. But I think I would. The only place i would differ with you on this is that. I think there is a lot of pressure on them this this coming year because it's like a it's like a show me year for them. That's what I kind of see. Show hey, you know, me, show me. Right, right, definitely with Kyrie, with Ben Simmons, like you said, with the whole thing. And it's like a show me year. Every the past you know two years or whatever, how they everybody's been kind of pushing them to be the favorites out of the East. And they see all of the the talent on the team and you know the offensive power and everything like that. Now I think now it's a little bit of kind of a show me. Now now it's got to happen. And I think that, you know, definitely has a lot of pressure, but that could be a good thing. We go see, brother. Um, the Eastern Conference is wide open. I, I feel like even from the teams that are considered elites, like the Wizards, they got better. Um, mm-hmm. The Sixers, defensively, um, it's a lot of nice guys on that team. They they added a jerk basketball stylistically at P.J. Tucker, a mm-hmm. bully uh, and Daniel House. The yes. Knicks added Jalen Brunson as well as, uh, and I feel like R.J. Barrett is getting better every year. But, like, there are certain guys and certain teams that, that could surprise people. But um, the Chicago Bulls and bringing back um, Zach Levine, I think that was good. And and adding Andre Drummond to the, to the pot as well. So I, I definitely think the Eastern Conference, as well as the Western Conference, are really and truly um it's like the 64 teams on an NCAA tournament bracket. You really, yes. you, you're not looking at this point for Cleveland and Golden State to go to the finals every year. It's really wide open. All right, I know I said last question, but you mentioned the Knicks. I got to ask you about Donovan Mitchell real quick, and that'll be my last question. Does Donovan Mitchell come to
0: the Knicks? You know, what, who are they going to have to give up? And how much can he help the Knicks, you know, as, as an overall product, if he does end up coming?
1: So I had a conversation with someone last Sunday um, about. Uh, That that is in the know. Donovan does uh, list the Nets and the Knicks as two teams uh, in conversation um, that he'd like to go to. But I'm also hearing um, that the the Utah Jazz believe uh, that with the head coach that they brought in, uh, as well as assistant coach uh, and Jason Terry, um, that they can really build around Donovan and that they really want this to work out. And so those are kind of the two different stories that I'm hearing. Um, I, I think that with the Knicks, in order to get Donovan Mitchell, um, you, you'd have to o- offer up RJ Barrett and, yeah, yeah. and a combination of Obi top and, and Emmanuel Quigley. And you give yep. up your your, 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 young core to get a star that ha- I know. I know Mello was your Syracuse brother, but the Knicks really gave up a lot, uh, to get Carmelo Anthony when they had right. a with some of the other guys next to Mari. So it gets tricky.
0: Yeah, I don't know about R.J. Barrett giving him up. That's that's the one person I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean? You got to keep him on there, but we'll definitely see. But well, Mr. Brandon Scoopy Robinson, I took
1: enough of, uh, of your time. I really appreciate it. And, you know, these discussions, they're, they're great. I love what you're doing. Keep going what you're doing. And, you know, I don't know if you consider yourself the old media, new media, but you're definitely somebody who is respected by both sides. And the players have a respect for you. And that is a positive thing. And, and I just want to say also, you know, we, I referenced, you know, Mark Spears and David Aldridge. And I actually told them during the show that I have a lot of respect for them. I was like, I, I told them that they don't fall into the category of the people who a lot of guys have issues with. And it's definitely not a beef thing. We're just having a difference of, you know, exchanging of ideas. And I think that's helped, but yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's also listening, um, listening. Um, Listening to understand, not hearing to respond. Definitely. And that's not just necessarily just with them. Mm-hmm. That's us as a country. Everybody got a hot take. But right. do you have a hot peacemake offering also? So right. Just, like, that's right. Food, food helps with that process too. That's right. That's true too. <laughs> that's true too. When we're a good meal, we just sit down. <laughs> we talk about it. But hey, thanks again. You know, we got chop it up, you know, another time.
0: But thanks again. Keep doing your thing. And thank you for coming on The Rematch, Basketball News, and Platy. Thank you for listening to The Rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, James Posey, and more. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AtonThomas36. Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.